Hey everyone, welcome to Reset with Amber Lyon. This is the official podcast for Reset.me, a website that connects you with natural medicines and therapies and inspirational people that will help you hit that reset button in life. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Joe Tuffer, who is an ayahuasca expert, also runs an ayahuasca center down in Peru. And today we're going to be talking all about ayahuasca and what kind of ailments this doctor has seen this medicine heal. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you're just fresh out of the Amazon. Uh, literally, you just got back <laughs> back got to the back States. Like three weeks. Yeah, I went to Colombia for a couple of weeks, and then I went to Miami for a week, and now I'm, now I'm here, yeah, not too long ago. And so you're a co-founder of an ayahuasca center yeah. down in Peru. Correct, yeah. I'm, I'm co-founder of Niwe Rao Centro Espiritual. Since 2011, we've been uh, functioning, so we're in our fourth year of functioning. So my other... Partners, Ricardo Amaringo is the main partner, and he is a Shipibo shaman from the Amazon. And then Svita Mamek, who is a Canadian artist and also up-and-coming healer. So it's the three of us that have been running that center for, for the last few years. And you've had hundreds of patients come through. I'm really excited to, to talk about what you've seen anecdotally, how this medicine has worked to cure certain ailments. But before we get to that... How the heck did you go from being a doctor in the United States to running an ayahuasca center down in Peru? Yeah. You mentioned something about peyote kind of got you interested yeah, in psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I kind of told the story. Uh, I, uh, in medical school, you know, it's really like where I, the culture of medical school where I was at really derailed me personally, spiritually, and I felt very lost. I became depressed. And um, at that time, I was actually, just to tell the full story, I, you know, tried a lot of different things. My dad is a psychiatrist. He was a psychiatrist. He passed away. And he suggested at some point that I try some antidepressants. You know, and a lot of medical students were on antidepressants, you know, kind of like the uh, soldiers. You know, they just put them on the antidepressants and just keep the thing going. And, because uh, they're depressed at the way Western medicine yeah, is structured, structured or... Yeah, I mean, that's a strange... Maybe, I think things are improving. You know, there's a lot of movement to improve medical education, but it's not an uncommon phenomenon like mm. depression in medical school. For me, it was, yeah, just a... Um, I don't know how to describe it, a disconnect from a lot of things that I felt were important that I'd be connected to. And also, there was a lack of... Of role models that you know there were some but there wasn't enough for me that like wow okay I could see doing this and just the general coldness you know which it's part of it it's a very intense environment you know it's hard to be so open all the time in such an environment but it's 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 difficult so I actually uh, at one point tried some antidepressants you know at that time I was and it did help me pulled me out of like some of my kind of ruminations my negative mm -hmm. thinking and, and I think it can be effective for that uh, but at that time I was exposed to a lot of people doing psychedelic research maps related research I had some friends and I began to learn about how the psychedelics themselves you know LSD was you know the molecule that opened our understanding about the existence of neurotransmitters period like serotonin neurotransmission was not, uh, people didn't know the brain used neurotransmitters until they realized that serotonin was so similar to LSD. And so there is a lot of like uh, crossover between the world of antidepressants and psychedelics at the biochemical level. And I myself, while on uh, antidepressants, felt a little bit like I was tripping. 
and I had the slightest feeling of like shrooms, you know, and the tension in my jaw, like ecstasy or something. So I felt like I was already in the serotonin circuitry, you know, that whole situation. I felt like I was already kind of bordering in doing something like that. And I never wanted to take antidepressants, you know, I was ashamed and all that stuff. And I just realized, you know what, I want to just, I'm from Arizona, you know, there's an opportunity to do peyote in ceremony, in a, in a spiritual ceremony. And so I want to go try that. And that one night uh, at the peyote uh, church in Arizona reset me, you know, that was the wow. reset. That reset me, that reconnected me to everything that I, I wanted and needed to be connected to, that I had lost connection to. And I still had struggles after that, but that changed my uh, course. Can and you so, take me back to that night? What happened? So you were at the Peyote Way of God Church. Yeah, the Peyote the, Way Church of God. Peyote yeah. Way Church of God, right. which functions, a lot of people don't know, Peyote is technically legal in six states in the U.S., so you can access it. And this is a, a well-known church in Arizona. And you go, you're, you're coming in, kind of a broken person. What yeah. was it about the peyote? What happened yeah. that so changed you? Is, uh, there's different, you know, form. They're, they're, operating, they're operating in the open. They're, they're not... Uh, they're not indigenous, the individuals that are currently running the organization. And, you know, they have a separate thing, but they're out in the open. And they have kind of earned the respect of, of the state authorities at this point. And they do a thing called spirit walk, where instead of being in a, with a shaman in a, in a group setting, you are encouraged to do it alone and with the, in a very sacred setting in, in their land, you know, very remote desert location. And they have a lot of experience with that. And so they have, you know, they don't have problems. And with peyote, it's a little different, I would say, than with ayahuasca as far as doing it alone, you know, in your first experience. So for me, it was, um, you know, I was very anxious. I had never done anything like that before. I've done, I'd done a little stuff, but peyote seemed like, whoa, that's, that's, that's stronger. You know, I was scared. Especially to be knowing that you're going to be drinking it or eating it and then just let go into the desert by yeah, yourself. I, but I, I think went that with would a friend. They encourage you to do it alone, but I went with my friend. Okay, that, that's very, how I would roll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's very experienced uh, with a lot of other things. And so he, uh, you know, was there and that helped. And what happened was, you know, I, I drank the, you drink a tea they have. And I had a real uh, tough time. Like, you know, I was just feeling very uncomfortable in my body and my guts and really regretting like, wow. Cause I, I, I kind of jeopardized a little bit of my medical training because I decided to like, I'm not gonna show up for a few days. I'm gonna do this, you know, when I was supposed to be doing, starting a surgery rotation. So that was a big deal in that mm -hmm. setting, a really big deal, but you know, nothing happened. So I was anxious about the whole thing. And I thought, oh no, this is a big mistake. Now I've blown everything, you know. What a waste. And then the effect came on. And it's, you have to fast on their property for one day before you do it. And you're out there mm -hmm. really kind of meditating into a, a deep natural setting. And when the peyote came on, I just really felt the presence of, uh, of another consciousness, you know, that was kind of helping to calm my consciousness and was able to completely silence my mind, you know, from the constant like internal dialogue chatter that I had just had overwhelmed me. And that was silenced. And I was in a peace. And then I was able to appreciate things again, you know, and I was able to uh, review my life in a more profound way, which was more about like, instead of just what I'm thinking about all the time, it's like, what have I been doing? 
you know, I'm okay with what I've been doing, you know what, but here's, I hurt this person, you know, kind of reckless, uh, this girlfriend or this or that situation that, oh, I was so into my own thing that I wasn't thinking about them, you know, and trying to resolve and come clean and, and clear my mind up around that. And just coming to a place where I realized, wow, you know, I'm, I, I, I could, you know, this is what I say that really is like the pillars for me of spiritual healing that there's a lot of paths to do that. It's just that, you know, with, in the proper way, I think some of these plant medicines can help you to do that. You know, I think there's a lot to be considered around that, but, you know, finding self-love, finding forgiveness, finding gratitude, finding compassion, like that's what a lot of people need. And in the right setting, you know, this spiritual healing can bring that into your life. And there's a lot of different ways. Like I said, a lot of pathways. So that helped me to do that. And so I became friends with them and, and I started bringing people there and I was very fascinated. And my family's from Colombia, South America. And so I knew that there was a uh, ayahuasca in Colombia, Yahe, you know, they call it the Yahe. And uh, I knew that that was out there. And my grandfather's best friend was a medical botanist that had spent a lot of time in the Amazon and I was aware. So I had a growing, you know, interest like, okay, wow, you know, <laughs> I wonder what that's like. And, uh, and so then I went, you know, in 2007 and, you know, I had a lead through my friends and connections and all that stuff. And I just had a very profound experience, you know, that was really, uh, for me was just so much about like discovering something that seemed so familiar to me. You know, that myself as a Colombian American born in Kansas and raised in Arizona, that I had a longing to connect to like South America, to the mm -hmm. land, to some kind of indigenous component, you know, of my being. And through my experience in ayahuasca, that just, it opened that up for me and also showed me a lot of other things. You know, and so there were just experiences upon experiences that really just piqued my curiosity and it just became something that I knew I was going to continue. At what point did you decide to open a center? We decided to open the center in uh, 2010. Ricardo, who's the main shaman, it's his vision. You know, he he was an assistant shaman and had in his, you know, vision and goals that one day he wanted to have his own center. And then there just happened to be a window of time in which he was advised by a few people that maybe it was the right time for him to do that. And he, we all happened to be hanging out at the old center where we all met, you know. And uh, so there were a couple people there, you know. Svita was there. Her, her boyfriend, who is now her husband, and a few other people were involved. And Ricardo kind of like, you know, ran up by a few of us and was like, hey, you know, would you guys want to do it? And at that point, yeah, it seemed like it was very easy to make a move because it mm -hmm. was just putting a small amount of money down on a property, a big property that turned out to be very cheap. So it wasn't a big commitment, you know, and we thought there were going to be a lot of people involved and we'd take turns, you know, but then people dropped out and then it really became about the three of us. And, uh, and then, yeah, then it's a really intense experience to open up ayahuasca center in the middle of the jungle yeah, i'm sure i yeah. can only imagine yeah. the kind of struggles you've had or or you know issues just i mean because you're working with such a powerful medicine that yeah. has a lot 
attached to it, yeah. A, and then also working in Peru. Yeah, true. And in your mind, I always ask our guests this because it is so uh, such a subjective question, but what is ayahuasca? It, yeah. As far as, as what you've learned, what, what, what do you think ayahuasca is? What is ayahuasca? Ayahuasca, so, you know, I, I wrote a little article in the Iquitos Times, you know, like just an overview, like a, you know, there's different perspectives. Ayahuasca is many things to many people. You know, what is it in the traditional, like, way that I train in and that I learn from, from that cultural person, from a doctor's perspective, it's, it's a hallucinogenic tea, you know, it's plants boiled together that have these properties and, so they say, oh, because of this biochemistry and that biochemistry, you know, it opens up this visionary experience. In the tradition, like as I have come to know it and then in my intimate like experiences with it, ayahuasca is a healing spirit of nature, you know, and uh, it's, it's, this is my personal experience. You know, I, I'm open to all the different views. So here I am sharing it, and you know, people are going to think what they might think. But yeah. this is just this is what I experience, and this is what I work with. Is that traditionally it's recognized to be a healing spirit of nature, you know, of the Amazon, like a Mother Nature type spirit that can be encountered, you know, by imbibing, you know, the ayahuasca vine mixed with you know some additive plant in our case chacruna, and so. It's seen in the Amazon as kind of the mother of, of the plant medicines there in a particular, you know, shamanic plant tradition. And so it is a, it can be a gateway and a doorway into a spiritual realm, mm -hmm. you know. So there's other traditions like, one other person I would recommend, you know, would be great if you had as Maladoma Somme. He's an African shaman, you know, really eloquent guy, wonderful speaker. And so his tradition, you know, then the Dagara tradition of Burkina Faso and a lot of African traditions this is a lot about ancestral, you know, connection, connecting into the ancestors and opening that portal to have some kind of access to a spiritual realm, you know, uh, through your ancestral connections. So the idea is that like in that way, they would work with the ancestors and their ancestors would have access to a spiritual realm, you know, some kind of quantum physical you know field mm. of possibilities whatever you want to call it and that you could possibly uh glean information from that place and that place could guide you you know and it may uh and it may also be able to heal you in ways that uh you know your conscious mind the material world you know may not be able to access the same way and so in a similar fashion ayahuasca is a portal through nature into those kind of spaces you know and for us like in the tradition that we work within and then ultimately that is a facet a face of uh, the divine you know coming through and so that's that's how we, that's how I work with it there within the traditional thinking, you know, that's a, some of the things I can say about ayahuasca. And, and since you opened the center, you've seen hundreds of people come from all over the world yeah. for healing with ayahuasca. You've mentioned before that a lot of these people are facing certain ailments that Western medicine has just failed to heal. Yeah. Uh, can you explain some of those ailments and yeah. um, why you think ayahuasca is, why it's effective? Right. 
Yeah, so then that's, you know, I've been speaking about that in different uh, settings that as a doctor, you know, who has experience here in family medicine and just general care of, of public health and watching, you know, what kinds of people get better, you know, through the treatments that we have available, what kinds of people don't get better through the treatments we have available. When I say have available, I mean like by the insurance-based system, you know, like mm -hmm. there are other treatment options out there for people, but what, you know, what are people getting through their employer that's generally like what psychedelics are definitely not they're not, on those they're lists. not on the list yeah you try to get a <laughs> health savings account maybe and yeah. <laughs> try to try to write it up correctly so i you know began trying to like just to get an overview of who's coming down to our center who's getting better and then those people are they're through word of mouth they're inviting other people with similar problems and just like let's look at this family of problems and they're you know it's pretty wide ranging but i would say that some of the prominent things that pique my interest are, you know, first, well, first things related to emotional trauma and psychological trauma, um, in some cases, sexual trauma, and then like related generally to those three things, you know, you see anxiety, depression, um, addiction, uh, PTSD, um, some degree of autoimmune illness is caught up in that in some cases. Mm -hmm some degree of psychosomatic illness, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, that could be, you know, there, things are not limited to that, but there's a psychosomatic component that may be a bigger part of certain people's experience with migraines and irritable bowel syndrome and uh, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and uh, those kind of problems, even some asthma, etc. It really points out the mind-body connection. It's a mind-body connection. And so mm. that is really... So that's what I'm really big into is like trying to discuss like, okay, I did a two-year fellowship in psychiatry at UCSD in a psychoneuroimmunology lab. I was doing something else, but I was exposed to that world and had, you know, guidance from a mentor that is a, is a leading researcher in that field. And there is this, like what I'm putting forth is like, hey, you know what? We kind of have like a map of what I would call an emotional body in the physiology of the human being now that I would say is the limbic system of the brain, you know, which is regarded as an emotional like center in the brain that is directly wired into the autonomic nervous system, like all our automatic, you know, functioning, digestion, breathing, heart rate, you know. So then there's the, there's the direct connect between the way stress and affects blood pressure, you know, hypertension or reflux, you know, over acid production or, you know, digestive problems or even uh, sexual problems, you know, sweating problems, you know, the list goes on and on. And then that system, both of those systems, the limbic system and the autonomic nervous system are also in direct communication with the endocrine system, you know, the hormone systems, the thyroid and the pituitary and hypothalamus and, uh, cortisol from the adrenal glands and, you know, all these different things, the pancreas. So that hormone system, the sexual, you know, hormones, people with menstrual problems, you mm -hmm. know, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then you also have the immune system is actually totally directly like in that network. So that's the, that's why psycho and neural immunology is a field, but they also use psycho and neural endocrinology is also a field that really is kind of like not, it's kind of the same thing actually. And what, you know, in this chapter I was participated in with that my mentor was, you know, a big part author of was kind of about how, you know what, 
these certain things like we call neurotransmitters because we first discovered them in the brain and in the neurons. And then we have these uh, hormones because we say, oh, they come from the endocrine glands. And then we say, oh, these things are from the immune system. So we call them cytokines or you know, inflammatory markers and stuff like that. But it turns out all the systems are actually using those molecules to communicate with each other. So it was kind of an arbitrary delineation of like, why is it we call it a hormone? Is it kind of a, it's kind of like a neurotransmitter too. And this is a cytokine. So then I'm saying we've, we're observing a network that crosses like all these organ systems that has kind of dominated a lot of the thinking. And this system, this emotional body, I'm calling it the limbic system to the autonomics, to the endocrine, to the immune system is a network that like is definitely linked to all these problems that I just described. You know, and that so it's really important to get in and and purge that trauma and process the trauma because if you carry it around bottled up inside of you, it's going to manifest itself as one of these illnesses. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's, you know, I mean that's a that's 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 definitely the idea. You know, that is the concept, and that's the traditional concept that's held in like I think a lot most of the traditional medicines. You know, whether it's Ayurveda and the chakras and you know, energy channels or Chinese, you know, meridian system, which, you know, are a big part of public health care in India and in China and are becoming a part of the system here. And so similarly in the, uh, you know, the Shipibo tradition that I study in, yeah, there's, there's blockages in the energies, you know, of the body and, and those are related to the emotional body. And so I think that those problems that I just listed to you, like there's also a growing body of research that these are like neurolimbic dysfunctions you know mm -hmm. like because there's an emotional problem or there's some root that you know at least part of it is like rooted in the limbic system and so then the question is how do you heal things that are like let's say are the result of a pathologic imprint on the limbic system during childhood your limbic system was developing you're trying to develop into a human being that is actually designed to develop into a community of love. And when that's not there, there's disturbances in the development of that system. Like childhood abuse childhood or abuse, trauma. neglect, you know, of all different kinds. And, and I always find that too, just journalistically with people I've interviewed who've been helped by these medicines, a common denominator for a lot of people who are facing addictions or had severe PTSD, anxiety, depression, was some type of childhood trauma that they just never dealt with. Right. And so then like from a medical perspective to bring this into like a, a like, you know, like I say, like a public health issue is that, okay, we're looking at like possibly like a limbic focused problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's why. And then as it turns out, like, how do you get at that in-depth psychology and how do you access that limbic system, you know, this subconscious, emotional part of ourselves? And it seems that, you know, so there's a few different people who are talking about that. You know, there's PTSD research say your approach has to get limbic, you know, to really, so they're doing exposure therapy, you know, and that seems to be like allowing people to have some kind of emotional resonance with somebody subconsciously to allow them to work through those blockages they have around some memory or some story, the embedded trauma. Or there's EMDR, the eye movement. Uh, I, think, I don't remember what it stands for exactly, but that's also looking like it's trying to get at that system. And then, you know, psychotherapy to a degree is also doing a lot of subconscious work over a slower uh, kind of time scale. And then you have the psychedelics, you know, who are showing like a lot of activity in the limbic and the paralimbic regions. You know, ayahuasca among them has now been demonstrated that that's going on. 
And so you get into that region and then, you know, how do you work with that region? And then there's some people like Ken Wilber, Integral Psychology, he was pointing out through like some discussion of spiral dynamics and some other theories that, you know, perhaps like tribal shamanic cultural technologies are actually more well suited to access that part of us, you know, ritual dance and drumming and music. And, you know, that's where people get into their grieving and their deep release, you know. And where do we really have that in our society? I, I think that. Yeah, that's the big issue. And so that's the thing that, you know, I bring up is that, you know, we've kind of been focused with all of our success of materialistic science and all this stuff to kind of like, oh, disregard, you know, our roots, which in fact, all of us are from tribal roots, like every human being walking the earth is from, uh, you know, ancestry that definitely practice things like that, that, you know, are still practiced by certain uh, tribal groups throughout the planet Earth, you know, that are living closer to nature and are living closer to smaller communities. And so you see that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, and the Shipibos, they, they, they still have that, you know. And so then those cultural technologies, things that like Maladoma's people are practicing, you know, whether it's sweat lodge or, you know, all these different approaches, shamanic approaches that have been like disregarded as ignorant, backwards, you know, that's not us, that's National Geographic, that's who knows, who the, how could I relate to that, you know, animal, etc. And it's that exact disregard that is leaving people very, very ill, you know, and then... Do you think this is in part responsible for why everything is so insane right now, why we have this collective insanity? Because we've, if you not only look at the fact of us cutting away our, our tribal roots, also just the lack of connection to nature... Yeah, there there are some people who literally do not. They spend their lives inside cement buildings. They they walk on cement sidewalks to get home. I mean, they're they're they have no connection whatsoever. Yeah, to nature. Yeah, so you can imagine like putting a a lion through an experience like that, and having imagine the sympathy that people would feel, you know, for one of the Earth's creatures to be stuck in that kind of environment, and how unhealthy that would be for them. You know, and we have distanced ourselves so much, you know, from that, uh, that we, and that's one of the things Maladoma Somay says, you know, it's like as a traditional healer from his culture, observing this culture, he's like, well, you know what, it's really missing. And if you reconnect people to like, wow, you're going to get great results. And this is what I always mention is like, reconnect them to nature, reconnect them to community and reconnect them to something, uh, you know, spiritual, something transcendent, because those three things are just like part of basic humanity on planet earth and they always have been and if you ignore that um you know then you're turning your back on 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 you know some people would think on your nature you know as an earthling here and so yes when you get people into nature you know we used to take kids here at ucla ucla unicamp is all about taking kids from the inner city to camping you know Mm -hmm. and just have a chance to breathe and and relax and, you know, uh, decompress, you know, so there's a lot of, there's so many like things popping up around that, like earthing, you know, they're saying that, oh, if you step down barefoot earth. on the earth, <laughs> yeah. there's, you're designed for some kind of electromagnetic, like interaction with earth's surface. Like I've been doing that yeah. lately, like literally walking around Santa Monica barefoot, right. just, just to re grab that connection. Because one point I realized I hadn't, my feet hadn't actually touched the earth for months. Right. And, and I noticed the difference. It may just be placebo, but I do notice the difference in my energy level and also just in my mood overall when I just 
put my feet through that sand or yeah. or through the grass. Um, a, a bad side effect though is sometimes I'll have like tar balls <laughs> and sure. like pins stuck no, in the bottom of my foot. Yeah, but it's, but it, it's frowned it works. upon. It's frowned upon. Yeah, you know, but like and people said, are like, "What's that? Who's that hippie walking?" Luckily, yeah. it's accepted in Santa Monica. I don't know if it would be so accepted in Middle well, like America, said, but it's, it's frowned upon. But what isn't these days? You know what I mean? So yeah. exactly, and I don't want to have buy. to buy an earthing mat, right. which is what they're selling. These mats that um, connect to the earth. And then you put it like on your bed or in your right. house to try to money. get that energy. Yeah, yeah pay. Exactly. I mean, you don't need that. Don't Just take your shoes off and walk outside, you know? There's a Shapibo shaman, you know, woman that used to work for us, Olivia, that she doesn't wear shoes, you know? Like, she never wears shoes. She never, ever wears shoes. And so, like, when you go to the airport, she doesn't wear shoes, you know? Uh -huh. And you go, like, waiting in line to buy your tickets, and you're like, oh, no, what are they going to say? But they never say anything, you know? She's the old Shapibo, and everyone knows she doesn't wear shoes. Yeah, that's how I am. Now. I'm barefoot now. You show up, you're like, what? She's she's barefoot. I thought she was this like respectable journalist. She's walking around with no shoes on. But I, I do notice the difference. I think it's great. And, and I also agree with you, too, about the collective limbic system malfunction. We've just lost our ability, something I've noticed, too, just in investigations I've conducted to purge this trauma. And then the way it, it acts out uh, and manifests itself in illness, or also I noticed too when I'd cover sex trafficking and slavery, that often the perpetrators had been abused as kids, but right. they never processed that trauma. And so then they were abusing women and the women were allowing themselves to be abused because they had been abused as children. And, and many addicts have been abused as children and they're covering up the anxiety from holding that trauma with the addiction. So how is it that ayahuasca actually gets inside the mind and the body and allows people to purge this trauma? Because that's definitely what it did for me when I was suffering from symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. I just felt like it was just able, it was like the key to my subconscious to unlock all these memories that I had even forgotten I remembered. Right. I think that, you know, that's probably like, you know, it's, it's a difficult question to answer, but like, first of all, it's coming from a tradition, a healthcare tradition that recognizes that purging trauma is important in your health. And so that's the first thing, you know, that people need to, that that's just part of the tradition that should people like Amazon, like I've mentioned before, I was in South Africa and the Zulu Sangomas, you know, they're also talking about the same kind of thing, ritual cleansing and you cleansing, know, you know, we, we've definitely lost that in, in lost Western. That. I mean, it's just all symptoms. Just mask the symptom. Give right. us, give us a pill, put a bandaid on a bullet wound, never really get in there and, and actually cure the root cause, right. which is this built up emotion. And then you look at men too. They're, they're uh, often made fun of for crying or showing emotion right. and that only makes it even worse. Right. And that's like Maladoma. I think that's one of his big things is he says like grieving ceremonies. He's like, this culture doesn't know how to grieve. You know, they don't know how to grieve. They don't know how to release emotionally. And so that's the thing is like, first you have to draw from traditions that recognize and have technologies because we don't, you know, like I guess psychotherapy is like, that's one of the places to do that. But generally, like, we don't have a way to purge trauma. Uh, like, if you come to me as a doctor here and I can recognize, oh, that's probably related to this. And it's like, you know, well, I have 10 minutes to see you or 15 minutes to see you. Maybe I could try to do a different kind of practice. But if I'm working in, like, the general, like, where most doctors work, you know, I'm, I'm limited. So, yeah, they're going to give them some, like, Prozac or something like that, you know. If... You know, when I was in medical training, you'd see sometimes in the hospital, like, oh, that patient was crying. Oh, well, put them on antidepressants, you know, like, that's what we'll do. 
But why not figure out why right. they're crying in and the first place? And help them through it, you know, and help them yeah. release. So I think it's just because that's what they should do, but they don't have any training and their thinking is not along those lines. It's almost like the entire, you need to revamp the entire train of thought in, right. in our, our medical system because well, they're and in completely... in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the whole culture because the whole culture is primarily materialistic, you know, money-oriented, like that is the major value system. And so purging trauma definitely is like secondary to uh, making money, you know, like people would just rather tough it out and do whatever else they do just to get that money, you know. So that is the number one like promoted mm-hmm. value um, in this culture. And the problem is, of course, that can leave you very unhealthy, you know, that perspective. And in a lot of spiritual traditions have been warning people about greed, you know, for thousands of years. You know, but here it's it's still like, you know, the main voices in the media, you know, are powered by that kind of, uh, those kind of entities, you know. And you always wonder why these people with so much money and success, yet you see them have these horrific addictions. They can never overcome right. that, that childhood trauma that they still have stored right. up inside of them. And, and you're always wondering, wow, that person has millions of dollars, actor, celebrity. How, how is it that they can't cure their addiction? Right. And, and again, it's the same old trick. Guess what? Like science and technology doesn't do it. Money doesn't do it. But if that's your big focus, if those are the two avenues that you're going down, thinking that's going to solve that problem for you, I mean, the evidence is clear. It it doesn't really work. So you have to look down some other avenues, you know, and the reality is like, you know, generally among the humans on the planet Earth, like, yeah, a lot of the spiritual traditions have tried to address like that kind of healing with people, you know, and so it's worth, I'm going to turn this off. It's worth uh, like exploring that, you know. So, so what what is it about the ayahuasca? Why is it, yeah, so you know, that, and other yeah. psychedelics that really gets into the mind and really allows you to uh, access the, these memories? It's, it's almost magical the way it happened. I had the ayahuasca pulled up memories that I didn't even remember from my childhood of my parents fighting that I guess I had internalized um, when they had gotten divorced. Right. And I, I didn't even remember those moments, there was no way I could have accessed them, but they were still stored on my hard drive. And it's like the ayahuasca just kind of unlocked it, opened it up and said, okay, remember this, this bothered you when you were four, you need to process it. This bothered you when you were seven, you need to process that. Right. So yeah, I think that like, you know, I have like theories a little bit about like, oh, how could it work scientifically or biochemically or all that stuff, you know, they're just ideas, but it's not really those, that framework is not really prepared to like, deal with the discussion that you're talking about. So we have to pretty much like talk about it in traditional terms Mm -hmm. because that's the most advanced like uh, framework to discuss, you know, ayahuasca, I think, you know, and, you know, but there's a lot, it's, there's, it's worthwhile to bring in all this like Western psychology and, you know, but like from a traditional perspective, that's, that's like, that's the nature of the ayahuasca, you know, that's what it does. The ayahuasca in the right setting, using the right way has that spirit that it is, uh, can help you to do that. Because you could, we could try to like talk about the biochemistry of like the limbic system, but it's like, why that memory? Why that, you know, mm. why this, why that? That's, that's, you know. It, it was almost, it had such an intelligence it to it. It had such an intelligence Like I, I could it. feel it going through my body and my mind, almost like it was searching, searching, like what's been bothering her the most? Let's pull that up. 
And, and that's right. exactly what it was able so to do. Well, you know, again, it's a difficult, it's an integrative discussion, you know, yeah. but we have to like open our minds to the traditional side for those people. You know, I can't, ex I can't expect a lot of people to believe that. And I, and I wouldn't believe it and I didn't believe it, but I see so many people go through it at our center. Most of them not believing it when they arrive and then leaving with a different experience, you know, that, you know, the Western scientific model, whatever is asking them to dismiss, you know? So that's like, that's another big problem I have with like the Western scientific model is that you're supposed to lie. You're supposed to deny like your subjective experience, you know, to me, that's so like empty, you know, that's so, let's just like, give me a break. You know, I'm just trying to be honest about what happened to me. You know, and if you want to hear me and you want to listen to me, okay, I'll listen to you. You know, if you tell me this, you had this funny feeling, you had this, okay, let me hear. You know, I have things like that happen to me. In fact, I think they happen to just about everybody, you know, but just you're not supposed to talk about it. So, unless it's scientifically proven or right, <laughs> anecdotes, why not use anecdotes? They're so discounted in Western medicine. But especially if you look at something like ayahuasca, that's what convinced me to go down. As I just started reading story after story, even though there's not a lot of science there, yeah, of people saying they were helped. And I, I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go give this a shot. Yeah, it's like I said, you know, medicine heals, you know, medicine heals. So it's like that's what the shaman, you know, one of the, the masters that I worked with before. I, I took somebody down there, a family member had a big experience, and he's like, how do I explain this to Joe's dad, who's a psychiatrist? How do I explain this to Joe's dad? And he just said, you know what? He's like, we're down here, these shamans, you know, we go to the doctor, you know? We recognize, like, oh, when what we know is not going to help, and we better go to the doctor, you know? And when we see doctors doing good work, we respect that. And it's like, we're just asking for that same respect, you know? They want to talk about, like, you know... There's the study designs, double-blind, placebo-controlled, you know, randomized trial, et cetera, et cetera, is a drug study design. It's designed to study single-molecule pharmaceuticals. And so when that becomes the gold standard, then it becomes very difficult to build evidence that passes statistical uh, significance, you know, when you want to study Chinese medicine or acupuncture or, you know, whatever, pranic healing or these, all these other things. Like, all of a sudden... The design model, which is supposed to, we're all evidence-based, we're evidence-based, we're evidence-based. But there's a lot of things that we use all the time that it was not, you know, like when they're doing surgical, like, interventions and advances, you know, they don't always run the placebo, you know what I mean? People do things because they figure it's going to work and they know what they're doing and they have experience and they explore. And when it works, then everyone says, okay, that worked. You know, somebody's life got saved and that still has some value, you know? So it's like, if we help these people... You know, and but I don't have the placebo controlled trial like, you know, I'm not going to wait for that. And uh, which in the case of psychedelics, you may be waiting forever because <laughs> there's so for, much red tape maps. But, they're, org, already, but they're already doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're already doing it. And what's happening? You know what I mean? They figured it out. Yeah, they went a single molecule route, you know, so just let's do the MDMA. You know what I mean? Let's do psilocybin. So now we can do placebo controlled trials. You know, they took it. Did they not take it? You know. And their patients are having like such strong responses that they're becoming advocates for their study. And like, let's say the veterans, for example, you know, this huge body of suffering people are like smelling like this potential hope for them and they're not going to wait, you know? And so they're going to push the politics. They're going to push it. It still happens. It still goes on. You know, in Washington, there was like a insurance company that didn't want to cover, uh, 
cochlear implants for deaf people. Mm. And that was the policy and that was okayed by the legislation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when the people got word of that, they're just like, what? You know, is they're deaf and it's a cochlear implant. Like, that's what it's for. That's, your, that's what health is for, healthcare. So they, they overturned it, you know. When they wanted to do an energy healing study at UCSD through the lab that I'm connected to through Paul Mills and Shamini Jain, you know, the, they wanted to do energy healing in the hospital on the research wing, and they were like, ridiculous, get out of here. But the people, it was for breast cancer survivors who had fatigue. And they're just like, you know what, you don't have anything for us. With all your brains and all your talk and all your rules, you can't help us. So we're not, we're tired of waiting for you. We're tired of waiting for your stuff. No, allow the study. And they did. You know what I mean? So the people, you know, that there's, there's a, that, that's what powered medicine like forever. And now the evidence-based, you know, which I'm, I'm not against evidence-based medicine, you know, that's important. Let's scrutinize things. But it's like, it's just these like, you know, little blips on the screen that become the dominant culture. Like that's what we always did. Like, oh yeah, now your depression is a chemical imbalance and you're supposed to be on Prozac for the rest of your life. Like, I don't remember hearing that when I was a child. Aren't medicines supposed to cure you eventually so you don't become dependent on them? Well, I think real medicine heals, mm-hmm. you know? But then that's, that's a treatment. That's a treatment to chronically manage, you know, a problem which is based... The chronic management with that treatment is based in the fact that that treatment does not cure the problem. And that's why it becomes a lifelong treatment. So if there is the option and the hope that somebody can actually have a healing and a resolution of that problem, and like, for example, many people have come off of antidepressants coming through our center, you know? I'm so, how, so you get a lot of people facing depression who come down? Yes. And, and what, tell me a little bit about them. How, how does it, obviously they have to get off the antidepressants they before they come down. They have to get off down. the antidepressants. Because ayahuasca does not mix with antidepressants. Well, that's, it could be that's fatal. our general, you know, there's, there's the possibility of like a serotonin overload with uh, some of the, with the antidepressants generally. I mean, there's probably, there's more details than that. But, you know, then they did like a big Brazilian study of all the people doing Santa Daime and all that stuff, UDV, and a lot of them are antidepressants and they're taking ayahuasca and it's Brazil and they just don't tell anybody and then they're doing okay. So is it as bad as, as that? We, you know, we at our center, we're in a remote location in the jungle. If there's a bad interaction, you know, it's a, that's a bad, bad situation. So we do not allow it, you know, and I think it's just wise. And for us, just to go deeper into the healing of those things from a traditional perspective, from a plant medicine, you want them off the stuff. Why is ayahuasca so effective at helping people heal depression? What, what does it, um, what does it do that's that, helping these people? I think, you know, it, it can be very effective in healing depression because it is helping them heal like the root trauma, you know, of what's underneath, like why, 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 you know, why are they so sad? What is it that they have not been able to, like they say, you know, this embedded trauma that is stuck and so, like you say, you know, fear is not hell, like in the bad trip, you know, fear is not hell. Being stuck in fear, that's hell. So when you're stuck and you can't get out and you're just stuck in the round and round and round and round. So you, that trauma, you know, we all go through things and a lot of things can be recontextualized. They just come back into the flow. You know, we have it and then somehow there's outlets and there's ways for that to be, you know, expressed and diffused and put back into the flow. Um... And so ayahuasca helps a lot of people do that, you know, for us, like we believe in a, we work in a, uh, a facilitated environment, 
You know what I mean? So ayahuasca by itself, like I'm not a promoter of an ayahuasca cult, that ayahuasca is the answer to everything. I do not believe that at all. And I know a lot of ayahuasca shamans that spend decades doing ayahuasca and they still have a lot of problems. So it takes a lot more than that. But it is a, it is a tool within a context that can be very powerful. So for us, like people are in retreat, you know, mm -hmm. in nature, they're in a healing community. They have a supportive relationships all around them, you know, and then they're also like getting this opportunity to have mystical experiences that many of them have never had. And so reconnecting to those elements helps them like recontextualize their trauma. You know, they're able to quiet their minds. They're able to find self-love through all that. They're able to find compassion for the people that, you know, abused them or neglected them or for themselves, you know, for things that they did, decisions they made. They're able to, through compassion, find understanding. Why? You know, like you said, oh, this person got abused and then they see they finally understand what the other person went through. You know, they realize that this is this long cycle that wasn't necessarily so personal, you know, and then they can find a way to to clean and clear as much as that of they can, that they can and, and forgive and open their hearts again, you know, and find a way to let love flow back into the situation. And then there's gratitude, you know, that comes out of that. And uh, I forget what my fourth thing that, I, that I'm into. <laughs> but I, I've heard a lot of people, we've had people on this show and people I know who were abused as children. And they said that the ayahuasca showed them that maybe their father who had abused them was also abused. Yeah. And he was abused by his father and his father. And it was just this long chain. And he was actually going to finally break that chain. Right. But the ayahuasca allowed him to finally have forgiveness. Right. Because he could really understand what was going on, which is so important. So that's like, that's healing. one aspect of like the recontextualization. You now what becomes a very personal, like uh, self-hating story is like part of this much larger like phenomena that you can flow into in both directions. Realize, oh my God, this is, this isn't just about me. This is this whole other story. And then the ayahuasca like does have this very interesting like aspect that it can help like purge some of the, all the, you know, not all, yeah, all or most or a lot of the negative like feelings, emotions, energies that are being carried you know, with that. So then like some relief from that experience. Mm -hmm. So then with some relief and with some recontextualization, then now you have a little breathing room, you know, to consider forgiveness and then forgiveness that you can feel like, you know, the big thing with forgiveness is, you know, all these like mental concepts, like again, we have to bring the emotional body into it if we want people to really feel a shift. So it's like, you can say you forgive somebody, but until you feel it in your heart, you have not. And so you're still carrying around that anger, which is then maybe causing you to be depressed or, and or not happy. And you, if you don't have any pathway into your heart to feel that kind of thing, you know, then you're not going to feel it. And so like this can help you find a way to that like deep part of your emotional body, your heart, all that stuff. And from that place, allow something to move and shift, you know, the way they've been talking about it in these spiritual traditions for centuries, you know, I mean, that's, uh, my, I grew up Catholic, you know, my family's Catholic. I mean, that's, that's a big part of the tradition, you know, it's, that's Carl mm -hmm. Jung said, look at forgiveness. Like here's where spiritual traditions are, are interfacing psychology. Look, forgiveness is like a concept that 
we're, it's a crossover, you know? It's a spiritual concept, like traditionally. And now we're talking about like in terms of psychology. You know, I think with the whole evidence-based talk and all this arbitrary delineation of like what's, what's acceptable to talk about and kind of a Western scientific, it's like, it's, to me, it's a bunch of BS because it's like, if we really get down to it, like thought itself is a mystical phenomenon. It still is a mystical phenomenon. My imagination is a mystical phenomenon. It still is. Love, you know, whether you feel it or you deny it or whatever, it's still a mystical phenomenon all over the place, you know, to anybody that really wants to talk about it, you know? And so those things are okay to talk about. You know, our dreams, that's okay to talk about. But if I talk about, you know, then in some circles, or oh, you could talk about prayer or you could talk about, you know, faith-based things or, or meditation or the secret, you know, your intention and your will and the power of your, your intention on, on reality, you know, but it's like so arbitrary where they draw the line. And to me, it's so bogus because it's like, okay, well, why don't we just talk about thought? You know, why don't we just sit here and scientific mentalize about that? And, and then we're just, where are we? We're in a dead end. You know, it's the same argument, like the near death experience, you know, you have one, they keep putting articles out. Like somebody does like mm -hmm. near death experience. That's just the brain powering down, you know, like now we have the proof that when it powers down like a computer in the blip, you know, you see your life flash before your eyes or you see the light and it's totally baseless. Like their, their discussion is as strong as the other person telling their story, but they try to make it sound like where they're coming from is like more valid, even though it's such a loose argument, you know, it's an imagination. It's somebody's imagination. So I just feel like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, you know, that's an unsophisticated like discussion, you know, which is, I think that's what's really cool, you know, to hear from some of these, like, you know, I just went to this satsang with this Indian guru, you know, and hearing his like reflections on some of people's questions that, you know, there's already been explorations about these, these matters. And I think it's important to bring like those elements into being. And so if somebody has a mystical experience, uh, you know, in our center in ayahuasca and somebody else says, oh, that doesn't mean anything, you know, they just heard the story and they poo-poo it. You know, it's like Alex Gray, the visionary artist says, I saw in a video, he says, you know, you, you have to respect the nihilistic perspective because that person has not had a, a mystical experience. Mm -hmm. And so you have to respect it. And I do respect it, you know, but I'm just saying I'm all, all I'm doing is asking them to respect my experience. And once you have a mystical experience, especially like on ayahuasca, it's very hard to go back <laughs> to the old to train of thought, which is me journalistically. That's why I decided I wanted to, to cover these Right. Uh, medicines from now on because it was so fascinating and so life-changing for me right and you always tell a really interesting story about a 32 year old woman who went down to your center who yeah. was having bodily pain and emotional issues and she could never really figure out what was causing that but the ayahuasca was able to show her some repressed memories that she didn't yeah. even remember she remembered could you tell us a yeah. little bit about her story. Yeah. So she, she knew that she had been through some emotional abuse and neglect and even some physical abuse, I think, to some degree. But she was not aware that she, you know, that she had been molested, you know, by a family member. And all that came to light, you know, to her and, you know, back to the whole mystical thing. You know, a few of the shamans had seen that already in her and you know decided not to tell her because they just mm -hmm. it's so much easier for her to to see that for herself and it just began to resonate with her and you know a lot of people see you know to be honest there's a number of people who see things like that 
that still it still needs to be interpreted and, and understood sometimes it's another kind of energy you know that comes to their mind that way so it's not always like a slam dunk and people need to be careful about that you know because they see this and all they want to confront their family member mm-hmm. but you know it takes some time but in her case it really did resonate and it began to like flesh out the story and and then you know, as she went through a longer process and really examined the situation, examined like her where she grew up and spoke to her mom, etc., and it all began to add up, you know. And then when she came back, her journey was about forgiving this family member, you know. And that was a whole. Again, we get into like how do you access that part of yourself, and just like film and media and all that stuff, like. You know, we live through stories. And so, like, to reorganize memories, you know what I mean? Sometimes a song helps us to reorganize our memories. Sometimes a story does. You know, like people have these big shifts. You know, art, that's, that's what art is doing for a lot of people. And so, through the dreamscape, you know, through the visionary landscape, which some people will say is a spiritual arena. Somebody else might say, oh, that's just a dreamscape, a visionary scape. Okay, whatever, you know, whatever. But interact with that place. Move things around in that place and see where you come out at the other side. So what she ended up doing was going through a lot of dialogues with this family member and negotiating with this family member the forgiveness that she wanted to offer, you know, and the requirements that were going to come with that and finally came to that resolution with that individual and was released and that was verified in her visionary experience. And she was able to heal. You had mentioned she had been overweight. She had knee problems. She was about to get surgery on her knee. All all the symptoms of carrying around this trauma she hadn't processed. Exactly. Exactly. And in Western medicine, I mean, would it have even been able to to treat her? Right. Well, I mean, we see like the, the end points that people are being guided towards, you know, whether it's gastric bypass, you know, or, you know, chronic antidepressant use or chronic pain medication use you know it's not that everybody's doing that you know a lot of doctors are very conscious and a lot of people are integrative and alternative but there's you know there's a lot of momentum down those it's becoming a big problem you know how many people are on chronic pain meds and stuff that you know there are you know physical ailments and things like that but there's also like cultural you know situations that you know people are overlooking that documentary american addict they said 70 percent of the world's prescription pain drugs are consumed in the united states I'm, I'm not surprised. I spent many years yeah. covering covering it. And the latest uh, negative side effect is now some babies are being born addicted to these prescription pain pills. Uh, I was in a NICU in East Tennessee and literally standing there as they brought a baby out who'd just been born and the baby was dependent on these opioid prescription painkillers because her mother couldn't get off uh, get off them because they're highly addictive. And so I sat there watching this baby being given morphine because it was going through withdrawal. And that's when I just put my hands on my head and said, what the hell is happening in this right. country? It's just, we've, we've gone insane. Well, if it was a cocaine cartel, they'd be making a big deal about it. But when you have the United States of America on 70% of the world's prescription drugs, you know, pain drugs that are addictive and you're doing it through the insurance system, you know, that's pretty suspect behavior. You know, how could you really feel good about your company if that's what you're contributing to? Yeah, okay, I could see helping out the people with pain, but yeah. just like letting it flow 
into these communities and seeing these babies born like that. Like and when where? I'd go out with the DEA and we'd go out on drug busts and slowly it became that the drugs that we were busting people for were no longer crack cocaine and heroin. It was uh, oxycodone and oxycontin right. and which Xanax. Are, which are produced here in the United States. And it, it just, I mean? it really is unbelievable. And, and I, I think another problem too we're facing definitely is uh, obesity, lack of healthy diet. Do people come down to your center to treat uh, eating disorders or could, yeah, could you explain to us some, like anecdotally? We've had some experience with people. We definitely had some people lose weight, you know, like coming through and kind of going through a shift and having an easier time with like what would be emotional eating, you know. And because uh, I, I think that's what a lot of eating is for many people. It I mean, it's it, just trying to cover up. You have that trauma and it's and angry yeah. and building up and you just try to cover up that anxiety with it's food. It's so or, easy and it's so accessible, you know, here and it's everywhere. You know, I mean, like if you're out in the middle of the jungle, yeah, it's not so easy to just get a cheeseburger because it's going to feel <laughs> yeah. good. But here it's like, man, you know, you're fighting getting that cheeseburger sometimes, you know, it's just it's everywhere. So there's that. There's also like the anorexia, the bulimia stuff that we've had you know people go through some a lot of healing around that you know that's 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 definitely a big issue because that, that's also just a symptom of carrying around symptom, trauma you know that's that's compounded by cultural you know pressures mm. you know that are are focused on those things so there's that's another one um and so that's that's the thing you know i think that those that's that's still the issue that we get back to the same thing over and over and over again is okay, we can try to stop the drug companies and we can try to, try to stop the cocaine cartels and whatever, Afghanistan, heroin. But why do Americans need so many drugs? You know, why do Americans need so many drugs? Like, and we're just kind of like out of touch. We've been so isolated from the rest of the world, you know, that we don't, people don't realize, you know, that that's this idea of like, okay, when I get older, I'm going to be on this trajectory to be on 15 medications, like that's what old age is about. And that's why I need my Medicare so bad because it's gonna cost $30,000 a month, you know, just for me to live. And it's like, well, guess what? That's not, that's not what's happening. Like most of the planet earth. And know? I think that's why there has been such, uh, ayahuasca has become such a phenomenon. And so many people are, are searching for healing and, right. and searching for help because they've been let down in so many ways, including myself. That's why after watching these babies being injected with morphine because they were addicted to prescription pain uh, pills, also watching a woman actually shoot up a Xanax in front of me like you would heroin, I, I couldn't go near them. Yeah. And so that's why ayahuasca appealed to me. And I think ayahuasca appeals to so many other people because they have lost hope and they're desperate. As ayahuasca grows and ayahuasca tourism grows, a lot of people have been writing me and just asking about how, how they choose a center. How, right. how do you know? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in middle America on my computer trying to find out where to go right. for healing down in the Amazon. How, how can I choose a reliable center? Is there any recommendations you could give as someone who runs a center yeah. as, as things to look for yeah. uh, that they could find out online or, yeah. or ways to figure this out and navigate it? I think the first thing is like, First, people really need to examine like what they're doing because I think that a lot of people are going down there, you know, like I say, going down to a culture they don't understand, they don't speak the language, and they're going to sit down with a stranger to drink one of the most powerful like hallucinogenic substances around and then see what happens after that. And, you know, hopefully they don't get raped or mugged or, you know, who knows what, or just, you know, taken for a ride. And the thing is, you wouldn't do that in your own country. 
you know, you wouldn't do those things that I just said. So to think that you would do that over there is like so confusing. And, and the Peruvian legal system is kind of like. And I think it's just a symptom of that desperation. It's a symptom of desperation. They're just so desperate. So people have to, just as they do like in medicine, you know, you have to like be more careful with your doctors, with the healthcare system. It's not enough. So first step, like in acknowledging, like getting in touch with traditional medicine, you know, like medicine that is more sustainable, you know, for our society is like personal responsibility that you don't get to just fast food it. It doesn't, that's not good enough. That's not good enough to go to Peru. So if that's what you want to do and you just want to flip the thing and get the app and have them tell you where to go, my advice is do not go. Next, like ideally you have a personal recommendation. You know, you, you get a chance to talk to somebody that has been there, that has gone through it. And, you know, that's, that's ideal. Then there is a growing body of you know, different kinds of advisory sites. I advisor, you know, is one that's starting up that, you know, I don't know that much about it, but I know friends that are into it, you know, that you, you, you can, you know, the way to, you know, trying to do that in a way and in, in a changing like technological situation, like for instance, TripAdvisor, you know, which a lot of people use was the number one site on TripAdvisor for a long time was a site that was having a lot of problems, you know, yeah, and I, I noticed that too. And that's something also to be wary of on some of these uh, advice and review sites is that people who run these centers can get on there and just change right. the email address and make 12 positive reviews. And that's what happened in my first center I went to. And unfortunately, what the reviews that had been removed were the allegations that this shaman had actually raped people, Right. Um, which I've since read and they and now they have more and more credibility to them as I've started to connect the dots. And he also behaved uh, poorly with me and other people in my group so so we relied on that review site and right. it just was and that's the thing because all those sites right now are just kind of like you know just it's just technology and our over reliance on like the internet etc cetera, etc cetera. you know like getting lost following your google maps and stuff it's just you know the map is not the territory and so you have to be very careful and marketing you know campaigns and stuff are just I mean, that's the most well-studied science, you know, in the United States of America. And so the, you got to be very wary. So I think you just really have to slow down and be careful and do your homework. And there are, you know, iAdvisor is one place that's trying to do it. There's another group, Ethno uh, Botanical Stewardship Council, is trying to develop a framework. We had uh, Joshua yeah. Wickerham Joshua, who runs that you know, on the show. Yeah, that. he's and, terrific. You know, people, you know it's, he's terrific. And it's difficult to do. And it's like if you're in the Amazon in Peru, like... You know, it's very difficult to monitor like these remote locations. And uh, so then it's really about like strengthening, I guess, this side of the network and trying to prepare people well, you know, that they don't just commit in desperation for something like this. That is a big mistake. So don't just buy the ticket and go no, stop and do go. the yeah, research. Stop and do the research. That's one thing I can say. You know, I don't who who do you know, who do I work with and refer to, you know, there's a lot of people that I think are doing good work down there, you know, like we have our center, you know, we're, we're a Shipibo tradition center. So yeah, we, we have relationships with Temple of the Way of Light. We have relationships with Ayahuasca Foundation. Um, and there's other centers too, that I think are doing positive stuff. And there's new centers that are really pushing. And so the internet, you know, forums is, is one way to go, you know, that's, that's one way we can report on it and try to find out. I don't know what the answer is exactly. And we, we have an ayahuasca forum on reset.me yeah. uh, just for that. Yeah. Just go in, ask your questions. Hopefully the community 
can ask you or answer them for you. Maybe right. someone could give a recommendation. And, and if you get several recommendations for the same center from several people, maybe that's something you want to check right. out. And like maybe starting to identify like what are the issues? Like first, yes, there's been, you know, sexual abuse, you know, so like really prepare yourself like to investigate that possibility. Like, you know, that's that's out there. You know, has there ever been any allegations of sexual abuse over there? How have they addressed it? How have they dealt with it? neglect negligence you know what i mean these centers where people are drinking ayahuasca and they're abandoning them they're letting them do whatever find out what happened in the morning like was that you know is there any evidence that that's going on um or just you know bsing people and not even like you know giving them real ayahuasca or giving them something that's dangerous so you those say are when the you kinds first of things that we you know we need to start like exposing and when you, you say when you first took peyote you brought a friend with you uh, just to make sure you weren't doing it alone. Do you yeah. recommend people bring someone they know down with them if it if it's possible, just to maybe yeah. sit with them? Or? Sure, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I went with somebody the first time because my family's from Colombia. You know, I mean, we're out there. I'm watching my back. You know, I'm in the middle of the Amazon, so it's like down there they don't advise the. My cousins don't get advice to travel alone in those regions. No, they do not. You know, the local girls they all know that the shamans are like that. You don't have to tell them. Be careful with the shaman. Oh, they might be tricky with you. They might try to pull a little fast one. You know how guys are, you know? Everybody knows that down there. So it's like that's what should be discussed out in the open. And so it's the same thing with like, you know, everyone wants to push like some new thing, you know, like, okay, the cult of ayahuasca and it's the savior and all this stuff. But it's like, okay, if we're going to be responsible, if we want it to stick, let's go ahead and pull out the dirty laundry up front. Mm. Like, let's tell everybody what, you know, the, what do you need to watch out for? You know, it's it's not enough just to it's it's a real deep. I, I meet so many people here that, you know, it's it's here that I think doing it in this setting and in this culture, there's a lot of real positive situations and and there's problems too a lot down there. The tradition, you know, is coming from a lot of mixed up things, you know, and so it's not all flowers at all, you know, and so people need to really like open their eyes to that, and that's how everything is. You know, mm -hmm. and that's how medicine is. And so it doesn't have to be all love and light all the time. You know, deep healing is not just about that. Um, and so we want to bring that in, you know, but that takes a lot of responsibility to do that right. And are there any major warning signs that say someone shows up at a center and they they're already on the boat ride? Yeah, they're already there, but they, they see some warning signs and and it would be a sign to maybe turn around and go back to Iquitos or, or not trust that shaman. Yeah, well, I think, you know, just talking to the people that are there at the center, you know, you're going to get a feel right there off the bat. Like, how's your experience been? What's been happening? You know, right away. And also, like, don't be bamboozled, you know, because then you, you what happens is is you go through an ayahuasca experience, you know, which for the first time, if it's strong, you know, is overwhelming and you are lit up and it just seems like these people are gods to be able to function and operate in that environment. You know, so all of a sudden they want these people to be like, you know, spiritual masters. And in my experience, like that's not very common, you know, and so I think need to be wary you know you need to be like we say you know you love everybody but you don't give anyone the benefit of the doubt you know especially if you're down there so you have to be cautious and and so yeah people are like oh i don't want to be guarded you know when i go through my ayahuasca because i need to open up and everything it's like 
you can do both, you know, mm-hmm. and you should be protecting yourself while you're in ayahuasca. You know, there's all kinds of elements and energies and stuff. So you don't, you know, there's a way to do it, but you have to build that trust, you know. And so I don't know, maybe, I don't know what the answer is. I went there, I had a personal recommendation, you know, from a leading person. Like, that's why I went where I went. And you were smart because I, I did not have a personal recommendation. Yeah. And I, I just picked a place based on the glowing reviews on TripAdvisor. Right, right. And then later found out that the majority of those reviews had come from one IP address. Right. And that the negative reviews had been removed. And, and so so it was really upsetting. Just, but I think I was supposed to see it journalistically. Sure. So that I know to give warnings like this. So I, I completely understand why I was I was led down that path. I think it's just it's very important. Like in, in our like the difference is like in Peru, like in these countries where, you know, so many other issues are uh, around, like there is a much less naivete. Where here in America, it's kind of like, you know, it's encouraged you know, to be naive. And, and that's like how a lot of our government functions, you know, and this, you know, your issues that you encountered and journalism and, you know, the, the whatever blowback, you know, that you get, it's like here people are encouraged, but it's like, you really got to think about like taking good care of yourself, taking good care of your family, you know, like who are these people? You don't know them. You, you, you need to like, you know, develop trust, understand, be careful. Like those simple concepts, sticking to those concepts, you know, because people get like in a self-righteousness in their kind of like new age, you know, experience that, oh my God, I have such a good feeling about this and I know and I know and I know it's like, okay, have a good feeling, good, but still be wise. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. And something that's exciting is we're seeing ayahuasca spread its tentacles all around the world outside of Peru. So people are able to access this medicine without necessarily heading down there. Some courts have ruled in favor of churches in the United States that are using ayahuasca as a sacrament for religious purposes. How have you seen ayahuasca spread from the jungle into the U.S.? And are you hopeful that eventually it will be legalized? Because the courts keep ruling in the favor of all these churches. So you're wondering, okay, well, when... When is it going to be right. legalized? Although ayahuasca itself isn't written into the law, but the DMT inside the ayahuasca is Schedule 1, right. which is even more silly because we have DMT in our bodies and profusely in nature. So it's right. like saying that, that you are illegal just by your own existence. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. To make a long question short, uh, how have you seen it spread through the U.S. and are you hopeful it yeah. will be legalized? What's the time frame on that? Well, there's, so there's two things. Like, first, I want to say that I still think, you know, like experiences in the Amazon, you know, that's, it's improving all the time. And I think it's really beneficial for people to go in and see it, you know, in this traditional place. Also, here in the United States, yeah, there's a lot of growing ayahuasca. Should it be legalized, like, broadly, like the way it is in Peru? And so if it is, again, we get back to the same issue that in Peru, like, personal responsibility is put on the individual, so if you go drink ayahuasca in Peru with some fool and get into a big mess, that's your fault. And so because that's not the way things operate here, it's a little trickier, yeah. you know. So then right now, uh, because there's so, you know, there, there people would be looking for whatever. I mean, very sadly, someone just died, I guess, here in California on ayahuasca, right? There was a report of a kid that drowned in, I think, Shasta Lake, like last weekend or something like that. And... Uh, and that's a real, and then they're saying that this was a negligent situation. And so it's like my brother studied law and we were talking about it. And it's like, okay, well, if he, have, he has religious right to use it, but 
like okay but there was negligence like you know they they didn't take care of them or whatever so they should be charged so as long as like there's controls in place to or some kind of something because i think it is a delicate matter there's some traditional shamans down there that feel like it shouldn't be you know just let loose because some spaces are opened up and there's a lot of like people that maybe like have learned and trained in a weekend workshop and they're not really like prepared perhaps to facilitate and help somebody through an experience like that and people could come out having a lot of problems so those kind of things need to be addressed they need to be discussed because why because they make a bad name for ayahuasca mm -hmm. so that for the people that are trying to do it right and trying to be very careful and then the people that are doing willy-nilly you know it's like there's room for that so should it be fully legalized for me i would say yes you know but i'm in the favor of legalization of a lot of things because i believe in a lot of personal responsibility of the individual you know uh so I think, yes, right now, I think the reality is, yeah, it's going to be through the religious route, you know, and so that's like through the example set by UDV and, and Santo Daime, you know, people are doing things like that from Brazilian churches and now the formation of other churches, you know, that are going to look for religious protection. And I think that could happen very soon. I mean, it's already happened. So when, you know, how widespread could it be? I don't know. And what is going to be the response? You know, there's different attitudes. I was in Miami. It's like there's a different, it's a Latin vibe over there. And there's a lot more tolerance, you know, of that kind of thing. A lot more respect and understanding of the tradition. You know, L.A., I think it's a big scene. There's a lot of, it seems like it's happening all over the place. But like all the big cities, there's a lot of ayahuasca going on, you know. Except middle America. <laughs> middle America, little... which is always, you know, it's what it is. You know, yeah. they don't, there's not as many international flights coming in and out of there. You know, it's like, it's, it's. But there's some listeners to this show that are, are waking up to it. Yeah, and, so you know, it, it's it'll, spreading. It'll make it there. It'll make yeah, it there. Yeah, for sure. You know? it'll the make way it it's there. spreading so now. I think it's spreading, but I think, again, people need to be careful, you know, and find the, the right, you know, healer for them and the right ceremony for them. And, and yeah, I am in favor of, like, people seeking religious protection because that is the available pathway towards, you know, if I wanted to practice ayahuasca shamanism here in the United States... For sure, I would be connected to a church, you know, and I would just like my friends at the Peyote Way, they they have been through, you know, a much more closed minded history. Like this is a new era. They've been busted many times by the DEA. I think I don't know how many of them have been to jail, but, you know, they have gone through it. And uh, so now they're like, you know, trying to do everything above board. And they are a, a genuine spiritual uh, organization you know it's a fact more spiritual than many other organizations that claim to be spiritual so i would want to be part of a spiritual organization you know and could it be like fda you know could it go down that route like medical marijuana it seems like just a really long road you know to go down maybe one day it will and maybe i think things are faster now i think mm -hmm. it's faster nowadays like Especially because it's a plant. Right. It's like, this is Mother Nature. You're telling me a plant is illegal. Well, and it's and, growing. It's growing in Hawaii now and yeah. it's growing in Florida, you know? So now it's a native plant. So it's like you don't have to import it anymore. You don't have to. So it's like, it's back to that same thing. You know, marijuana's in the same boat. You know, like, how can you make a plant illegal? Um, so, whatever, that's already broken down. So I think the culture has shifted dramatically. And a lot of that has to do with that the elders of our society now are the people that went through the 60s, you know, and they are not being 
controlled and limited by their elders coming out of the 50s and the 40s and all that kind of stuff. And they have a totally different experience, you know? So now, like Colorado, Washington, now, you know, this debate, how, when is it gonna, oh my God, it's gonna go on forever. And now it's legal? Like not medical marijuana, but fully legal? So I think in this society, like things are happening so fast nowadays that, uh, you know, th you know, it could go viral or something like that. But that's, it's still a little, it's still a ways off because people are much less experienced with it. Mm. You know, marijuana, the, the whole country, you know, has been exposed. People have been smoking marijuana here for decades and decades or forever, I guess. I don't know how long. But ayahuasca is real new on the scene. So now people have experience with psychedelics, you know, for a few decades. So there's that part of it. There was a lot of recklessness, you know, on top of whatever like regime was trying to stop the opening of consciousness of the society. There was a lot of reckless behavior. There were people that got screwed up. There were people that got damaged. There were people that killed themselves, you know. So it's back to that same thing. If you want psychedelics, you know, to be opened up to everybody, which they are to a lot of people can access them if they want them. But like within the ayahuasca tradition, you know, of the Shipibo tradition, it's just recognized that that's something you have to be very careful with. You know, you should be very careful with that kind of thing. And so you have that cultural norm in place. So then you don't need to monitor with the law, you know. And Joe, you've been a wealth of knowledge for so many people out there just learning about this medicine. And, and how can people connect to you? How can people find your center, find out about your work if they want to research it a little bit more? Yeah, right now I'm mostly operating out of uh, the website of the, of the center, niwayrao.com. And, and how do you spell that? It's N-I-H-U-E-R-A-O.com. All right. Yeah, that's it. So then I have some talks on YouTube. I'm slowly going to create my own thing. Maybe I'll do podcasts too one day. Yeah. <laughs> I have access to. I'm working on that, but not yet. And if you're listening, thank you so much, Joe, for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge on ayahuasca. And if you want to go and find out more about this uh, amazing medicine and, and the latest news, uh, just head to reset.me under the news bar. You can scroll down and access ayahuasca. We also have an amazing ayahuasca fast fact sheet to let you know about the side effects and different prescription medications, the, the potential interactions. And you can also head to our forums to discuss this podcast with other listeners and really get uh, up to date and just pose your questions. Also, we have an ayahuasca forum where you can also go to to ask about centers and retreats and get recommendations. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. Yeah.